Hey friends, I am so glad you're here. I'm your host, Erin Cusio, and this is Room for Lovely. Each week, we'll bring you incredible guests with relatable stories and encouraging wisdom who remind us to look for the loveliness in every single day. Because while not all of life is lovely, there is room for loveliness in every single season. I think there comes a time in life for many of us where we find ourselves looking at the sum total of our lives thus far and asking, what is the purpose in all of this anyway? For some, maybe that's easy to see and it's been carefully molded and curated and developed over time. But for others, it's quite possible that we have spent years in a rhythm of busyness and overwhelm. And when we finally get our head above water, we look around wondering what the heck we've been doing all this time. If you find yourself in the latter camp, don't fret. Me too. After years of simply surviving, I am only now embarking on a journey of every attempt toward purpose-driven thriving. Admittedly, that took quite a bit longer than I had hoped, but even still, here I am. And friend, it's not too late for you either. What are you dreaming of? And how can we make that happen? My guest today is Sierra Lane Myers. Sierra found herself in a similar state when she realized that she didn't want to miss God's calling. Ultimately, it came down to looking at her life and deciding if she was a dreamer or a doer, and she bravely decided that she was both. Today, she shares with us about vision, purpose, and calling, and she brings lots of practical wisdom that helps us to understand how we can give life to the dreams that have been burning in our hearts and embark on a life of intentionality and purpose. Welcome, Sierra. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast with me. I am absolutely thrilled to have you join me and talk about your book. Um, I have just finished reading it this morning, actually, and just absolutely loved it. And I can't wait to chat about it. So if you would, would you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I am a woman of God, first of all, and I am a mother to two girls, ages 10 and four, and I'm a wife, and we have a little family counseling practice in our area where we have a few therapists, and I sort of just, I founded that group practice. My husband's the lead counselor, and then we just kind of help people help people, which is really nice. I am a writer and author, and that about sums it up. Well, I loved getting to get into your book, but one thing that you said at the very beginning, I believe it was in the introduction that really stuck with me was that you described yourself as grown and growing. And I loved that because I think I really resonated with it. I thought at this age in my life that I would just be grown. I didn't expect that I would still be growing. Um, But can you tell me a little bit about why you described yourself as grown and growing? Yeah, I think we can never arrive. And I think for those of us that have any sort of expectation of ourselves, um, that can feel a little bit of a push and pull type of thing because we know we need to stretch and we know we need to get out of our comfort zone and we hear all these things. Um, but for me, I just had such a tension. I had such a pull from God to do something and I could not understand what he wanted me to do. And I knew I wasn't lazy. Like I knew I had something to offer and I knew I would work hard for him. But that stretching and that growing really helped me. Now, you know, in hindsight, we can always see, oh, these were the steps that got us there. And so 
I'll just keep trying to grow my whole life until God takes me home. (laughs) I think that's a good philosophy. I like it. Um, Your book is called Glasses Off. Can you tell us a little bit about where that idea came from or what prompted you to write a book? This is your first book. Where did that come from? So the title of the book totally inspired the whole thing. I was basically running this counseling practice, had the girls at home part-time working on that, part-time raising them. Um, I was also creating content for other brands and doing licenses, things for them. And then I had a little blog on the side and I just felt like God was asking me to stop the digital stuff. I didn't know if it was him or if it was fear or if it was Satan. And it was so persistent that I just kept stuffing it down for like a year. And then I realized, okay, I think this is really the Lord because it's, this is not leaving me. It's not going to go away. So I stopped cold Turkey. I did not post for a year and a half. Maybe I thought I would feel peace because I'm like, okay, I'm being obedient to the Lord. And, but I really did not because I'm sure, you know, as someone in this space that if you stop, it's kind of over, you have no momentum and it's really hard to pick your business back up. And so I thought I just made a terrible, irrational decision and this is not a good idea. But I was um, praying one day to the Lord, kind of like griping at him about it. He interrupted me with the book title. What he kind of put on my heart was a little different. It was the working title. It's since been changed, but at the time it was glasses off, how to see God when your vision is blurred. It was so clearly like a book, but I was not an author yet. So I went to Amazon and I was like, okay, God wants me to buy this book with this title. So I typed it in and all of these books came up that were about optometry, losing your eyesight. So I thought, the Lord is going to take my eyesight away. I'm going to go blind. And it was just very innocent. You know, I had no idea that it was a metaphor for spiritual blindness at that time. And so I was like, how do I tell my girls, mommy's going to go blind. And I'm like reading all these books and articles and stuff. And then about a week later, God just kept revealing to me, like, I need you to write a book with that title. And so I trusted in fast forward a year, I was in a writing competition and they asked us summarize your book with one word. So I asked my husband, Hey babe, what do you think my book is about? Cause he'd read it. There was probably 36,000 words at that point. And he said, the word is vision. That's what to me, it sounds like. And I thought, oh, okay, there's the, there's the aha moment. So I scrapped like 24,000 words. I kept some of it. And I really wrote the book I needed to read because so if you could picture me, I'd stopped all the stuff. Agencies were no longer paying me. My audience was totally gone. You know, everything God's calling me to this brand new industry. I have no English degree. I have no credentials. And I'm thinking, I'm really just going on faith here, Lord. So I need you to give me some steps. And so I really wrote it for that person who feels kind of stuck. I kind of went through two phases, either like, I don't feel special enough to like look for a calling in the first place. Like um, I almost took humility too far to like self-deprecation, you know? And then the other one was like, okay, I'm feeling the confidence in the Lord. I know he's calling me to something different. I need to figure out how that, how that looks. And so that's what I wrote. 
I love that you say that you wrote the book that you needed, because I think so often in my own life, I feel the same way that oftentimes the things that God prompts me to speak about or to write about are the things that really I need to hear the most. Um, and so there is no like, oh my goodness, thank you so much for saying that because it's me. I'm the one that needs to hear it. And I'm always grateful when other people are blessed by it, but usually I'm the culprit. I'm the one that needs whatever it is. Um, you talk in the book about the difference between purpose calling and vision. Can you break that down for us a little bit? Uh, yes. Those are some pretty lofty concepts. <laughs> I was somebody who had never really had their thing. Like I'd done a lot of different things in my life and I had, I was sort of good at a lot of different things. I wasn't an expert in any one thing. When you're in your you know, teenage years, that's okay. But when you're in your thirties, I felt, okay, Lord, I really need to know what do you want me to do? And I was having all these conversations with like my friends or mentors or my parents. And I just seemed like the only one that was really passionate about it. Like, don't you feel like you've missed the memo and everyone has showed up at the party and they're all in black and white. And you're like in this yellow polka dotted jumpsuit. And, you know, um, like, why does no one care about their calling as much? And um, it's because they didn't, they had, the Lord was not calling them to what he was calling me to. It was different. And thankfully I felt like God put on my heart a triangle diagram, which it's visual. So it's kind of hard to, but if you get the book, it's in chapter two and the text really helps make sense of the diagram. But basically at the top of the triangle is purpose. Bottom corner, one of the points is calling. And then another point is vision. And that parallels the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And what I felt the Lord was sharing with me was that out of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit flow and out of purpose, which is our, our mission of loving the Lord and sharing that with, with others out of our day-to-day -day purpose, our callings and visions will flow. And that the purpose is the why we're doing the thing we're doing every day. The calling is the where it's the space, the field, the stage, the classroom, it's the where to your why. And then the vision is sort of like God's playbook of how we're actually going to do that. That's really, really good. It's interesting because that calling or that purpose can be brought to life in a lot of different ways. People can have similar callings and execute those in totally different spaces and places. And I think that's part of the beauty of the things that God is bringing us to and the way that he has uniquely gifted all of us is that there can be similarities and yet very vast differences in the way that those things are executed. Totally agree. Yeah. And I don't think there's one, like, I think with calling, I wrote in the book that my husband prayed to God what he should do for his calling in life when he was a teenager and that the Lord put on his heart people. And so people is a really big umbrella under that you could do teaching or dietitian, nutritionist, physical therapist. I mean, and so he just chose and never looked back. And I don't, I don't think there's just one specific job. I think it's much broader than that. I think that also kind of takes some of the pressure off. You know, I think sometimes God does call us to do very specific things in very specific ways. But I also think sometimes we are so concerned with, am I going to miss it? When God is just maybe calling us to this grander idea of, I just want you to invest in people. I just want you to, you know, go after the heart of 
helping people. And so there's lots of ways that we can get that right. Um, as long as we are being sensitive to kind of where God is leading us. Totally. Cause like the calling for me, like before I wrote the book, I was still creating, I was creating images, products. I've always done that ever since I was little, that was still what I was doing. Now I'm just creating in a different industry. And if I don't write anymore, I'll maybe create something over here. Yeah. It can look different. And then I think the very, very specific things, I think that is vision that those are the things where it's like, okay, this is the book I need you to write. This is the person I need you to witness to. This is how I want you to do this. Well, speaking of vision, one thing that I had written down that I was like, oh, that's really good from the book was that you said, without vision, I would spend my time productively, but not precisely. What did that mean for you? I think you can busy yourself. I think you can totally distract yourself. And if you're blinded and if you're sitting there hoping for something and you're not allowing yourself to really listen to the voice of God and be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. I think we can do a lot of really awesome things in the world, but maybe not the one thing God wants us to do. You know, I heard a sermon one time that I thought was so funny and so true. And he just said, Moses did not part the sea, which we all know. He just raised a stick. So what if God didn't part the sea? Moses is just standing there. And so every day I just pray, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm raising a stick. So if you want to part the sea, you can do that. If you want to leave me hanging, I'll look like a fool for you. You know, where does dreaming fit into that formula? Because I think that, you know, when we're looking at it from the standpoint of purpose, vision, and calling, then we are our purpose, calling, and vision, then dreaming feels sometimes a little bit far-fetched. So how do we fit dreaming into the formula? How do we dream God's way? Yeah, I wrote in chapter five about dreaming and being a visionary. And that concept really came from a conversation I had with one of my girlfriends on the back of her tailgate overlooking some water. And I was just crying. And I was like, girl, I don't want to, I don't want to not execute on an idea from the Lord, but I'm also too scared to execute on the idea from the Lord. And I don't want to have this dream, but then be someone who doesn't do it. And she just looked me square in the eyes and said, you're both, you're a dreamer and a doer. And after she said that, I immediately wrote the whole chapter and I was like, okay, there's both. What does that mean? And what I figured out was that if I kept the dream inside, that it was sort of a selfish act because it's so internally focused. But if I don't stop at the dreaming and I keep pushing through, you know, you don't go around it, you go through, then it could actually be for the benefit of others. And that is much more helpful than if I had been too scared to execute. How do we navigate the fear and the setbacks? Because it's easy to say, okay, just push past it. Just do it. Just have a little faith and go out on that dream. But that's a little bit easier said than done, I think, sometimes how can we practically navigate the fear? Because there's going to be fear when we start trying to execute these big dreams for God. I totally agree that we can get to a place where we understand that it is more selfish to not act on the dream than it is to go out there and do it, which I think it's been portrayed by society as the opposite. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some real fear that we have to push past. So how do we do that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, what switched my mindset was God woke me up one morning with this thought at like four in the morning, like it's not about you. It's about providing value. 
And he just said it to me like 50 times. It's not about you. It's about providing value. And so I started to get up in the morning and it's easy to be inspired when your work shifts from like, how will people perceive me? Is this going to be successful? Will they like me too? How can I best be used for one soul of the kingdom of God? Like literally, if if no one else comes to my concert and there's one person standing there and they meet me in heaven because I decided to uh, push through that fear. So I think it's just a shift of perspective. Like, you know, it's that internal versus that external part of it. Okay. It is about providing value and it's not about me. I think that is definitely a game changer when we can understand that, you know, we have the ability to serve other people when we are simply acting on these dreams. And it really does change our mindsets when we're not performing, but rather we're serving. I think that can make all the difference. Totally. And once you, once we figure out who God wants us to serve, then we, then that confidence builds in us too, because we're not going to be for everybody. You know, not everybody's going to want to read my book but the right reader will find it. You know, maybe if your listeners want to figure out what audience they could they could serve with even just one skill they have, that would be a useful practical thing. Um you talk also a lot about boundaries in the book. What do you have to say about boundaries? Why are they important? Where do we need them? Tell us about that. I think it's important to involve others in our God-given visions, but at the end of the day, everyone may look at you and say I don't get it, or that seems crazy. Or they may say, yeah, do it, launch it. But really you're the one that has to make the decision. And it can be so hard for people that like to gather data from everyone and call every friend and call their mom seven times. And um, it's very natural to do that. And so I, I just personally had to work on, okay, I need to set earthly boundaries so that I could protect my my God-given vision. And is that just in the people that we surround ourselves with? Are there other important boundaries that we should set? Um, What are the practical ways that we do protect our vision? I think prayer is a huge one. Um, I don't think that a vision has power until there's prayer behind it, because I think boundaries look so different, like even between you and I, if I really struggle with the people side of it, maybe someone else struggles with like media consumption or addiction or um, a certain sin or whatever. So I think prayer to reveal, first of all, like what boundary we need to to establish. I agree that that is incredibly important. Um, and I think once we are able to establish that boundary, once we're able to take steps forward, we are finally able to see a little bit of momentum. And that is oftentimes, at least for me anyway, that can be a huge motivating factor. It's difficult sometimes to press forward when it feels like nothing is happening. But when we start to see even small steps forward begin to equate to a little bit of momentum, I think that can be really encouraging. And you talk about momentum in the book and you kind of relate the scientific version of momentum to the spiritual version of momentum. So I did not know this. I mean, I'm sure I learned it at some point, but the scientific version of momentum is force plus strength plus speed. You have your own momentum definition. Tell me about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a while since we learned that in school. (laughs) I'm like, this is so hard to live. Like I need, I need a formula to help me because life is so hard sometimes, God. And usually what he calls me to is hard. Usually he's not like, hey, go to the spa. (laughs) Why not Lord? Why is that not the calling? (laughs) (laughs) 
so I thought I really need something to just cling to when I'm, when I need some momentum. Um, so yeah, I, I had to look it up too. I didn't remember that, but I basically created another definition to hold on to. And so for force, it's pressure for strength, it's self-discipline and for speed, it's God's timing. So basically the pressure in a God-given vision is there always. And we can either sort of crumble underneath the weight of it, or we can allow it to help guide us into the, you know, the bigger thing that we're trying to accomplish. So that's the first thing. Force is the pressure plus the strength, which is the self-discipline. So um, I think a lot of us can give up at this stage. And I mean, myself included of looking around and going, oh, but they're such a natural, like they're so, they're naturally gifted at that. They're so good at that. And I'll never be like at that level, whatever it is. And I just decided to say, okay, if God's calling me to this and he's telling me what he wants me to do, then I've got to figure out how to do it. And I've got to build skills. So actually self-discipline is more useful than being a beautiful natural. So that's the second part of the equation for me. And then the next last part is the strength, which is God's timing. So even if you hold underneath that pressure and you are good under that pressure and you build all the skills and God has gifted you with natural abilities, his timing is sovereign. Um, I think that for me is a formula I keep in mind to gain momentum. And each of those I think is so important, but sometimes it can be so difficult just waiting on his timing. And I think that is really the ticket. That's the key that, you know, we can do all we can do on our own, but until his timing is right, until he allows the opportunities to come our way or the doors to open, we're kind of just faithfully going at it until he opens the door. Yeah, exactly. He can't, you know, open another door. I mean, he can, he's God, but he usually will not open a door unless we walk through that one because it's like a chain effect, you know? So there may just be one small door. And if you walk through that one, then he can open up these other doors, which is really cool. A long time ago, I heard a quote that essentially said that our faith activates the favor of God. And I think sometimes we can get hung up in this formula that you're talking about because on the one hand, we might be doers that are just trying to do it all on our own. And then we get frustrated whenever his timing is not working out, or we are simply waiting on his timing, but we're not being doers. And so we're like, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Open the door, but we're not actually actively pursuing the things that we are supposed to be pursuing. And so I think understanding that it's kind of the trifecta of all three of those things being mixed together, that's really where we can truly see the good momentum come. Yeah. Oh, that gives me chills. Yep. Definitely spiritual. You can't control all of it. Which I like to do. I like to control it all. (laughs) (laughs) You talked about at the beginning, just kind of feeling stuck and knowing that God had something for you, but just trying to figure out like, what in the world do you want from me anyway? And now here we are and you have followed his call. You have written this book You've it's out there. It's in the world. Praise the Lord. You did the good work. Um, there's still so much more good to be done, but how would you say that that has changed you personally? How are you different today than the girl that was stuck wondering, what do you even want from me, Lord? Well, I don't feel as brokenhearted, you know, and God is so close to the brokenhearted 
And for me, I sat in that for a while. And then I realized this is my opportunity for growth. I wasn't the lowest I've ever been where, you know, we go in ebbs and flows of life and having the dark night of the soul throughout those times of darkness and hurt and pain. I really, my only hope was the Lord. And so clinging on to him and growing in that, even if you're crying, it's you're it's also like the most beautiful time in your life and it doesn't make sense. And you hear people talk about it, but until it's you, it really is just a beautiful and isolating and terrible and haunting place to be all at once. And so to be on the other side of it, and I'm not in a perfect, you know, specimen, I'm not anything like that, but at least I'm on sort of a mountain right now looking down. Um, I think there's just so much gratitude. I don't feel as isolated and I still feel anxious and fear and everything, but I just feel like the Lord told me one time, he just said, every day you're anxious, yet every day you're taken care of. So I just cling on to that. Well, tell it like it really is, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> it's I so good. Such it's such a sweet. Yeah. I've read, I've written it on my daughter's whiteboard and it's just such a sweet thing to remember. So in mountains or valleys. Excellent reminder. What would be your hope for the takeaway of your message for other people? What is the one thing that you hope people get out of this book and your message? I hope that the amazing thing is not that I've written the book. I hope the amazing thing is that your listeners and whoever God places it in front of, that they read the book and that God gives them a revelation that's just for them. And they go and do something in their city or their school, their town, and that there's amazing things that happen because of the ripple effect. Well, I'm so grateful for your obedience to follow God's call and your obedience to write the book. Um, it's so good, so practical, so relatable. I think so many of us can find ourselves in seasons where we're like, what in the world am I doing anyway? Um, and so I just really loved all that the book had to offer. And I appreciate that very much. I always end with the same question and that is simply tell me something good. So in your life right now, what's good? Uh, love. I think love is the most important thing. I think it's what God calls us for. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to focus on loving my neighbor, loving all people, having mercy and not being judgmental and loving, even if there's nothing in return. Well, friend, I'm sure glad you made it here today. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would be absolutely honored if you took just a moment to leave a rating or review. This brings new folks our way, and I love getting to see the ripple effect that this show has had. Also, make sure you're checking out the show notes. I've got all the good stuff there. Links to Sierra and her book, Glasses Off, and links to my social media and book, Unraveled. If there was one thing I could tell you after today's conversation, it would be that it is not too late. I think many of us have expectations of setting out on a grand adventure in early adulthood and leaning into a life of purpose. And for many of us, at least that I've been around, I think it's incredibly easy to get bogged down in a life of busy and then wake up one day wondering if we missed it. But friend, you haven't. As long as you are here breathing another day, there is still tremendous purpose set before you. Take a moment to pause and decipher what sets your soul on fire. What do you want? How bad do you want it? And what are you going to do to get there? God has created you with a unique purpose. The goal is to find it. 
and then to authentically live in that purpose. And when we can do that, well, that will make some room for lovely.